Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we're going to be talking to one of our members, Tom Hale, who is a frequent speaker at boating events, often speaking about the intracoastal waterway. But today I've asked Tom to join us to talk about a post he made to the forum earlier this week regarding some questions about um, fire and gasoline engines and the difference between gasoline and diesel when it comes to those hazards. Um, before I do bring Tom into the conversation, though, I do want to take a moment to recognize and to thank our Admiral-level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, I'd like to introduce Tom Hale. Let's Tom, go. welcome to Great Loop Radio. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this, I believe, is your first time on Great Loop Radio, unless it was before my time. Um, so let's just start, if you can fill our listeners in who may not have heard you speak before, on your background, your cruising background, and your uh, credentials on talking about this topic of uh, fire safety on board. Okay, but we only have half an hour. I can't do all that. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been on before twice uh, discussing cruising on the Chesapeake. But in any event, my uh, background is I'm a boat designer, builder, boatyard operator. And as a result of my experience designing and building boats, I was hired by ADYC to be their technical vice president for a long time. In that capacity, I worked with the technical committees that wrote the ABYC standards, but on those committees were all of the key players who written the federal laws. So I was working with the actual people who wrote the original laws and with the Coast Guard and the insurance industry and boat builders for many years on a variety of boating safety issues. And I'm very familiar with the fuel systems in diesel and gasoline boats. In the mid to late 90s, I was sent to the UL Boating Accident Investigation Program and was a certified uh, boat accident investigator. And part of that was an introduction to um, marine fire investigation. I'm not certified in marine fire investigation, but I've taken the introductory course, which ties into my ABYC work. Excellent. And Great. and as I kind of mentioned in the intro, um, there was a post that you made to the forum um, earlier in the week or possibly last week, but the topic had kind of shifted around a few times in that thread. But one thing that did come up was fire and fuel system fires. And you made a very interesting post that kind of piqued my interest, and I wanted to talk about that a little bit. So let's kind of start from the beginning um, we want to make sure that people realize that fires are rare, but they do happen. Um, what is the cause of most boat fires? Well, that's a, um, that's a, it varies with the size of the boats, but for the types of boats we're dealing with in AGLCA, the looping boats, most of the fires are going to be electrical in nature. The, everybody has seen many stories of marina fires and boat fires caused by the electrical cord hull inlet. If there's one piece of your boat that you must maintain for fire safety, it would be that one point where the hull cord comes into the boat. Um, but also DC wiring, uh, it is so simple that people think that they can just um, wire in a solar panel or a bilge pump and they don't, or a battery charger or an inverter, and they don't understand a lot of the important safety um, requirements that are built into the safety standards. 
Um, unfortunately, Kim, most of these boat buyers are so complete that there isn't much left to find out what really caused it. I will just mention that I spent a month on Martha's Vineyard, and they've had five electrical fires on sailboats this summer. All five were on boats that were not. Um, there's nobody aboard. All boats had recently or had, excuse me, solar panels installed by the owners. No one has done the accident investigation to say what caused the fires. All we can say is, interestingly, five boats with solar panels caught fire in this, this summer. Interesting, one of them burned and sank when it was hauled out of the water about eight hours later. There was still enough juice in the battery, another fire in the wreck. So wow. DC is not something you should just think you can you know, put a couple of crimpers on and, and install some of these DC um, and some DC equipment. Um, you really need to understand overcurrent protection and uh, you need to monitor it. I've written several articles on the matter of adding uh, an electrical panel and how to properly size the wires because what often happens is you're going to add a radar and you can connect the connections from the radar to your electrical panel um, and everything is great. But the next thing you know, the electrical panel that was rated for 40 amps is now carrying 42 amps or 47 amps full time and something is going to fail. So, so Tom, uh, Tom what's not the best way to it's avoid? Yeah, and, and it's not as easy as you think. And, uh, you know, I know for myself personally, if there's an um, electrical issue, it's not something I would touch myself. Um, but a lot of loopers are uh, very competent in boat repairs, and they are do-it-yourselfers. Um, how should one determine whether it is something that they should attempt themselves or when, when it's time to bring in professional help? Well, of course, that would vary greatly with each person's own knowledge and ability. Um, mm -hmm. There are a number of very good books out there. I am a professional. I have Nigel Calder's book on the shelf over my bunk. Um, I would strongly mm -hmm. urge people, no matter how experienced they are, to get a good book. And Nigel Calder, is, is, I have no connection there. It's just I know him, and I know it's a great book. Um, also, it, DC wiring is actually a lot harder than AC wiring because the um, the amperages are generally higher. There's more uh, current flowing. Um, so people think it's only 12 volts. True, but at 120 volts, you're only drawing maybe an amp, and 12 volts, you'd be drawing 10 amps for that same load. So it's really not as simple as it looks. And, and so just because you've done perhaps some repair work on electrical systems in your dirt home does not necessarily mean things are going to work as well or the same way if you attempt to do something similar on your boat. Would you say that that's a true statement? I, I would say that that is true. I have been in the boat business for you know, since the 60s, and I can honestly say, and I know there will be electricians who will jump on this, some of the worst wiring jobs I have seen were, but my son-in-law is a household electrician. Mm -hmm. It's just not the same. So I just get a, get there's many good books on it, and um, it, it's very you don't need all the standards and whatnot. These, these authors have done a good job of making it simple and explaining what you have to do, and if you follow that, you'll be just fine. However, when I go into boats and I see what people are doing, I realize a lot of people haven't read the book, so to speak. Right. 
Now, let's kind of continue on that topic a little bit of, of things on the boat are not necessarily the same as they are in other places. And one of the things you mentioned in your post, and it, it was specifically talking about gasoline engine fires, which um, we know uh, gasoline engines on the loop are probably in the minority, um, but you kind of mentioned what can go wrong there, and one of the issues had to do with using non-marine um, equipment on your boat. So yes. let, let's kind of yes. talk about that that post and how you talked about what the issue with an older boat fueling up might be and what might cause sure. it to explode after fueling, because that actually happened here in Charleston at one of our marinas earlier this summer. And I, I knew it had blown up just after fueling up and after running the blower, but didn't really connect to the rest of the dots until I saw your post. So kind of fill us uh, Kim, in on that there, issue. Absolutely. Um, Kim, this is something, it it, it is it is predictable when there is a boat fire and I, and I call and I talk to the accident investigators, if they actually are doing an investigation, I get the story about what happened. And the story is very, very consistent. Um, first of all, gasoline powered boats are fine. They are safe when they're new, but the problem is as they age and they get tired and they change hands and they finally get to somebody who's got a bargain boat and he's going to go off and go exploring in his boat. And he starts trying to do the uh, upgrades and, and fix it on his own. And he, he's been fixing his own car for years. So he knows the, the GM short, uh, the GM um, small block engine very well, and he can make this engine run. And that's great. But the trouble is that boat is old. Now, the fuel hoses that we've used in the industry since oh, about 1990 are all resistant to alcohol because um, ethanol is not something really new. It's particularly those in the Midwest know that they've been dealing with it since the 90s. But still, a boat that was built in the 90s, you're looking at a 20- or 30-year-old hose that's had fuel in it. And even if it's the alcohol-resistant fuel hose, the um, – the alcohol probably is more aggressive than gasoline. And the fact is, it's now 25 years old. It needs to be replaced. And it's very easy to see because you go in the boat and you see these cracked hoses and you fix them, with one exception. The fuel fill hose is always out of sight. It just is. It's, nobody looks at it. So when you finish rebuilding the engine on your boat, you put 10 gallons of fuel in the tank, and you start the engine up, and it runs, and you tune it up, and you get ready to go, and off you go to the uh, launching ramp, put the boat in the water, go over to the, the boat dock, and fill the tank. When you fill the tank, now that fill hose that's 30 years old has got fuel sitting in the bottom few inches of it, and it begins to leak, and it goes down into the bilge. And... Uh, uh, the gasoline by itself isn't a problem. Well, it is a problem, obviously, but the issue is that you have to have a source of ignition, too. And as anybody who's worked on a gasoline marine engine can tell you, an alternator uh, at Napa for a Chevy is 50 bucks, and a marine alternator is 200 A starter for a Chevy at and I'm not picking on Chevy; it could be a Ford, whatever. Um, but an automotive starter is 50 bucks. A marine starter is 150 or 200 bucks. It's easy to say. Look, it bolts up to the same holes. I'm just going to save 200 bucks and buy this automotive part. 
And when you're test running the engine and the boat is all open and everything is fine, everything runs. But what you don't know is that the marine components are sealed so that they can't ignite gasoline. And that, that's very expensive. It means that the alternator is built on a different production line. It's a smaller volume. It has to then be warehoused separately. It gets shipped separately. All, every step of the way, it's more expensive to build that. And it's, of course, had to be tested to, um, in the laboratory to make sure it meets the federal law for ignition protection. And that's why these parts are more expensive. But at the end of the day, that's the only part you should be using. So if you now have filled this newly rebuilt engine boat uh, with gasoline and you have an alternator or a starter that's not marine, uh, you have a source of ignition because the automotive parts don't care. They never see high levels of fuel vapor. If there's a leak in the fuel system on a car, it falls harmlessly on the ground. So the marine fuel system, it falls into the bilge. Um, the vapors will build up in the bilge. And if you have a source of ignition, you can't ignite them. The funny thing is gasoline is surprisingly hard to ignite. And so when they test starters and alternators in the laboratory, they actually use propane because they can be much more precise in making sure that the device passes the test. So gasoline, if it's too rich, it's there's, a, there's what's called an upper and lower explosive limit. If, it, if the bilge is full of gasoline, the vapors are so strong, it's so rich, it's up, the concentration is above the upper explosive limit, and it won't blow up. And if there's just a little bit of vapor in the bilge, just a little bit, it's below the lower explosive limit, and it won't blow up. But what happens is when you've had this fuel tank with an old hose and it's leaked, half a gallon of gasoline down into the bilge, when you start the engine up, the compartment is too rich to explode. So you don't have a fire. You don't have an explosion when you start the engine. But as you move away from the dock, your engine is like this big air pump. It burns 100 times more air, more than that, I guess, than it does fuel. So it's sucking in huge amounts of air, and it brings the level of the vapors into the explosive range. And at that point, if you're running with an automotive alternator that's creating little sparks as it works, you'll have an ignition and an explosion. And you saw it down in Charleston. Um, we saw two on the Chesapeake Bay in the last 18 months, uh, older boats that filled up with fuel, moved away from the fuel dock, and then um, exploded. So right. it's, do, you can easily do your own work on these Chevy engines, but don't... Um, don't use automotive components, don't use automotive starters or alternators, and by all means, take the time to explore every single hose and replace any hose that you can get your hands on, and any hose you can't has got to be replaced, because you just can't take the risk. And interestingly, Kim, yeah, uh, it looks like gasoline engines are going to become more and more and more back into the cruising community, because it's getting, it's obvious that it's very hard for the diesels to meet the emissions. Mm-hmm. So you're going to probably see a shift back to gasoline engines. But curiously, and you're starting to see this, 
People are building larger boats, even some trawlers, with gasoline outboards. And that is probably the direction that, it, that the cruising community is going to go over the next decade. So that, yeah, and that, that is an interesting trend. And I really think the key, even for our listeners who have diesel engines, you know, I think it was kind of that last part you mentioned, Tom, that the, the message to get there is that you really need to replace worn parts and use the marine grade parts um, because if it's not this situation, it could be something else. Um, and we really want to make sure people are safe out there. Again, fires are extremely rare, but there have been a few high-profile ones lately, and we just want to make sure that everyone stays safe out there. Um, we are going to take a moment to play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, Tom, we actually don't have all that much time, but I want to focus a little bit on um, some tips on what to do if you do experience a fire aboard. Please. So we'll come back in a moment, and we'll shift the discussion to that. Thank you. Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River, 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio, and we're chatting today with Tom Hale, who is giving us some expert information on fires aboard. Um, and, again, we want to make sure that everyone realizes it's an unusual situation. We don't want to scare anybody, but we do want to focus now on tips for dealing with a fire in the unlikely event that it does happen. Um, so, Tom, what should we do first if we realize that there's a fire aboard? Okay, first, before there's a fire, we all, myself included, don't have the proper fire extinguishers. We can get our, our boats inspected and certified with a little two-pound uh, dry chem ex extinguisher. You should have a five-pound ABC extinguisher in each of the major components uh, compartments of your boat. If you have a fire underway, it will be in the engine room. Do not open the hatch. Obviously, have someone call in a mayday and then try and get your dinghy in the water. And here is the only way you can fight this fire. You cannot open the hatch or you add too much air. You shut the engine down, and then you have a properly sized um, clean agent fire extinguisher, and you put, it in, put the nozzle in through what's called a fire port and flood the engine room. Now, this fire extinguisher alone is going to be a couple of hundred bucks. But you can extinguish a fire room, uh, engine room fire with a clean agent extinguisher if it's properly sized. All that is easy, easily calculated. So um, it's very unlikely to have a fire. If you do have part of your crew getting the uh, dinghy ready to get overboard, and anybody who is competent to do this should take the uh, properly sized clean agent extinguisher and discharge the full contents into the engine room, which should put out the fire. Now, regarding the dinghy, uh, some people say maybe I should have a life raft. 
on the Great Loop, you're almost always in protected waters, almost always traveling with other boats, almost always within close range of the U.S. or Canadian Coast Guard. You probably don't need a life raft. Most of us have dinghies on the transom. We can splash that thing in seconds and get away from a burning boat. If your dinghy is up on the cabin top, then you might consider having some other means of abandoning ship because if you do have an engine with fire, it's likely that the electrical system will shut down. You won't be able to launch the dinghy. But, again, uh, if you have a clean agent fire extinguisher properly sized, you can probably snuff out a fire in an engine room and uh, then sit there and wait for, for help to arrive. Perfect. Um, and of course, we hope that that never happens. But uh, and we also know that the type of fire extinguisher you're recommending is probably a little more expensive than what many people have on their boats. But um, again, we just really like to encourage safety. And for what most people will spend on the Great Loop, spending a few extra hundred dollars for yeah. a fire extinguisher that can exactly. save your boat um, really is a worthwhile undertaking. So we re- encourage our yeah. listeners to go out and, and purchase one of those. Yeah, five-pound ABC extinguishers are about 50 bucks. You would probably mm-hmm. need three, three or four of them in your boat. You can get by with $20 worth of little cheap extinguishers, but they won't help you if you need one. It is the extinguisher for the engine room that's going to be a few hundred dollars, and it has to be sized. There are ways to calculate how much volume you need, and it could be several hundred dollars, but it is a great investment. Right. Uh, Tom, also, some of our a- loopers will have an automatic firing automatic fire suppression system already built in um, right. and if you do that is a fabulous device just make sure you get it sort of recertified yes and we did have an episode of um, this podcast on fire suppression systems not that long ago um, so you should be able to find that in the archives if anyone listening is interested in that as well Tom what is a, um, a good resource is there a website or anything along that line that you can point people to for the calculation um, on what size fire extinguisher they need for the engine compartment Ooh, I don't have one off the top of my head. Um, okay. The fire extinguishing, the fire extinguishing companies, the marine fire extinguishing companies know exactly uh, how to do it. And if you contact them, they they will ask for some dimensions and they'll give you the number, or they'll even give you formulas because you figure out how big your engine room is, then you subtract all the tanks and the engine and stuff like that, uh, and okay. you're left with a certain number of cubic feet. Uh, all right. And we're just about out of time. It seems like this one has flown by. But, Tom, tell us, um, you mentioned uh, kind of right towards the beginning of our discussion that you've written some articles on um, electric systems aboard and things like that. Is there a good place where people can see most of those, or are they published separately for different magazines and things? Uh, They're published separately. Um, Sail Magazine and Chesapeake Bay Magazine are two that have been publishing my stuff recently. And uh, my, my point on, on those two is every year I send out copies of those to different groups and say, please read this. And so if I could just give advice to everybody who is on the loop right now, every time you leave your boat, give it a little pat on the butt right there where the hull inlet comes in. Put your hand on the hull inlet and see if it's warm because that is the only – piece of uh, equipment on your boat that's likely to give you a problem on the entire loop. If it's warm Tom. and just warm, if it's warm, you can replace it and you're all set to go. But if you don't check, you won't know. Okay. 
Perfect. That's great advice, Tom. And we'd love to have you back to talk about some of these technical topics again. Um, and I especially want to thank Tom um, because he is out there living the life. He is actually talking to us today from an anchorage at Great Kills in New York. Um, so uh, thanks, Tom, for taking some time out of your cruising day to share this information, very important information with other loopers. Great. My pleasure, Kim. I'll talk to you soon. Yes. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising.